0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Scott Cunningham and is from the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, if you've never met me before, my name's Scott. I've been a pastoral resident for here for about the past year or so, um, but as it says in your bulletin, that's all about to change as my wife and I move literally in the next few days to Madison, Wisconsin to start a new church. I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but for now, it's my absolute privilege to get to dive into God's Word together one last time before we leave. What I want to talk about today is from Luke 15, that beautiful passage that Matt just read. Man, it all goes together. This is something that just came up for me in my personal Bible reading. It's really simple, and it's been really convicting and really motivating for what we want to do in Madison and for how we want to do it. Um, So I'm excited. That's what we're going to talk about today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, open up our hearts this morning, Lord. Give us a picture, Heavenly Father, of your heart for the lost. Give us a picture of how radical you are, of how audacious your love is, Lord. And invite us in by the Holy Spirit to share your heart. We pray all this in your name man. Um, Business consultants, executive guys who flip companies around and stuff talk about the difference between climate and culture in a workplace. So if you work in corporate America, you've probably heard this stuff before. Climate is basically like a couple leaders talk about it, you're supposed to do it, you're supposed to get get excited about it, you get emails about it, but pretty much everybody in the company rolls their eyes. That's climate. I don't care how much the guy talks about it, it's climate. Culture is is mutually shared. This is like deep in the fabric of an institution or company or community or whatever. It's a mutually shared goal, mutually shared assumptions about what matters in whatever place that is. That's a culture. And in the workplace or in any community, you can tell what the culture is of a place by looking at what's celebrated. You wanna know what you know, the culture of somewhere is, you just ask what kind of parties are they throwing? What does everybody get excited about? So my brother's a pastor in downtown New Orleans, and as a little experiment, let's compare the parties that New Orleans throws and Wheaton, Illinois throws, okay? (laughs) So besides Mardi Gras, which the whole town ticks around, you've got Jazz Festival, which is this enormous, I mean like hundreds of thousands of people's come out to it, food, jazz music, just this explosion. There's the red dress run where thousands and thousands of people in the city wear a red dress and run around the city. There's White Linen Night, which is where everybody wears white linens, drinks champagne, and walks around the art galleries. There's Dirty Linen Night, which is two weeks later, where you wear the same linens you wore on White Linen Night, except this time you go through antique shops and drink dirty martinis. Now, Wheaton, I remember... I was in Vintage Rides downtown, if you've ever been to Vintage Rides, it's a classic car thing, and my son was eating ice cream, and there were awesome cars everywhere, John Mellencamp was playing in the background, it was sunny, girls had bows in their hair dancing around, it was just like America. It's like, this is what we celebrate, right? It's like, we love John Mellencamp, and Memorial Day parades, and July 4th, it's like a huge part of our culture, and it's awesome, but man, those are different, right? Those two... Those types of parties are different. We're not going to do a red dress run probably for Wheaton, you know. Different cultures. What we celebrate reveals what we value. It also teaches what we value. When you grow up in a place, you look at what's celebrated. You learn to care about those things. So what you celebrate is really important. Okay. Why am I talking about all this? The passage we just heard from Luke 15 is a tense And very serious debate about what God celebrates. Essentially, it's a conversation asking the question of what does the kingdom of heaven get excited about? So, in verse one, Jesus is hanging out, and sinners and tax collectors, unpopular people, are drawn to him, and religious people see him, and they do the ancient equivalent of blowing up the internet. They, they get to their Twitter feeds and Facebook and start going, Jesus is hanging out with sinners and all these people, and it, this becomes this huge deal. And then in response to that grumbling from these religious guys, Jesus tells three stories, and they all go together, and they all inform one another. And it's a direct challenge to these guys. If you're visiting and you're new to Christianity, Uh, this is an amazing opportunity and space in the Bible to see the heart of Jesus and the heart of God. It's this internal conversation between Jesus and some religious people, and you kind of get to see the real character of the heart of the God of the Bible. It's amazing. So let's walk through them. Story one is the story of the lost sheep. And if you have your Bible or your bulletin, it's verses three to seven. Basically, there's a guy who has a hundred sheep, and he loses one, and when he does, he freaks out. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one in the wilderness. And when he finds it, he goes nuts. He rejoices, it says, gathers all his friends together, and then throws a massive, it's been found party. Look at verse 7 in your bulletin with me. Here's where Jesus just kind of tells you what it means. He says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What an astonishing thing to say. There's this bit in the book of Job, which I've always loved, where God speaks to Job out, out of the whirlwind at the end of the book. And he says this, where were you, Job, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Oh. I imagine in my mind there's like the darkness of before creation, and then God speaks constellations and galaxies and solar systems into existence, and they explode in the night sky. And then all the angels in the host of heaven is just like, <sighs> joy! When the Cubs won the World Series, think of those images of just champagne and confetti guns going off and everything. Jesus is saying, when one sinner repents, that's what happens in heaven. Then he adds a degree of value, and this is where it gets interesting. That happens over one person more who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. So there's not just excitement in heaven, there's a value system. Second story. This is the the parable of the lost coin. This is verses 8 to 10. Very similar. There's a woman, she's got 10 coins instead of 100 sheep. She loses one. What happens? She freaks out. She stops what she's doing. She sweeps under the rug. She looks everywhere until she finds it. And then what happens? She goes nuts. She invites all her friends over, and she throws a massive it's been found party. And then again, Jesus tells you in verse 10, just so I tell you there is joy. Think that deep joy. Job, World Series joy, which is word out of context. That would be weird, but you understand what I'm saying. There's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, before we move on, I said there's this little nugget that comes out of this that's been so convicting and challenging to me and motivating for what we want to do in Madison. And here it is. If I had to distill it to a tweet, here would be my tweet The culture of the kingdom celebrates the lost being found. The culture of the kingdom of heaven celebrates the lost being found. What you celebrate is important. It reveals your values. It reveals your ambitions and your assumptions. What does God celebrate? Why does heaven throw parties when lost people get found? They throw, it's been found parties for sinners, for us. Now try to shake yourself out of sermon mode for a second. And like maybe you've heard this passage before and you've heard. Jesus say that. Think about how insane this is. So imagine you're a shepherd. And Jesus is talking to you. So you're a shepherd, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm a shepherd. You've got 100 sheep. You're like, yeah, I've had 100 sheep before. That's all right. You lose one, and you're like, yeah, I've lost one sheep one sheep before. It's not a big deal. What do you do? You leave the 99. You go after the one, right? And you're like, No. That's not what I do. Jesus Hold on here, let me give you an economics lesson. You cut your losses, you praise God you still have 99, and you stay with the 99. I think what Jesus is saying here doesn't make normal sense to the people he's talking to. My whole life, I thought Jesus' rhetoric of which one of you wouldn't do this was common sense, but I'm not so sure. Because of the nature of the conversation, because of what started this debate, and because it's how it's gonna end with the third story, I think Jesus' value system here, his heart for the lost one, is deeply challenging to the people who are listening. To go back to the business world, uh, people talk about when one company buys out another, when there's a merger called culture clash between two companies. So I used to work in corporate sales, and I would visit companies, and one of the companies I visited made office supplies for like over 100 years, and their... Their office space was, like, so clinical. It was, like, more sterile than a hospital. It was, like, same kind of suit everybody wore, clean-cut cubicles, same things on the, on the tables. You could tell they had really clear brand values, you know, like, water cooler in the corner. It was, like, classic American office. Another company I visited was a new tech company, and it looked like the dress code was, like, beards, tattoos, and skinny jeans. It was a hangar, and it was filled with astroturf, so there were no desks, like, 200 employees, Seats are hanging, there's like balls for people to sit on. They had a half pipe for skateboards inside the office and an open bar, okay? Now imagine, both very successful companies. Imagine if one of those bought out the other company. (laughs) That would be culture clash. You can imagine tons of opportunities of people saying things like, well, we do things this way or we celebrate this. What Jesus is saying here is crazy talk to these people. It's clashing deeply with a value system in their fabric. The Pharisees and scribes got excited about different stuff. They celebrated different things. They celebrated moving up in the world of religion, and they celebrated being looked at and being special in the marketplace and all kinds of stuff. And all of this leads to the third story, which I think is the master story of Jesus, the master storyteller. Most of us know this as the prodigal son, but coming after the lost sheep and the lost coin, we should probably call it the lost son. So it starts off exactly the same. There's a person who has multiple somethings, except this time, instead of sheep and coins, it's kids. There's a man who's got two sons. So let's look at it. Verses 11 to 24 is kind of the first segment of this story. The father loses one of his sons, exactly the same as the other stories. And this son gets lost, and he goes into a deep and pagan wilderness. He rejects his father. But then he comes home, and we learn in verse 20 that the father, just like the shepherd and the woman, had been diligently searching for him because he sees him. The father spots him from far off, and then he runs after him. And then what happens? Well, if you were listening to Jesus, you could probably finish the story for him, right? He grabs him up in his arms and he goes nuts, gets so excited. And then he comes home, he invites all his buddies over, he buys pizza for the entire block, he cues the music, the confetti guns go off, and he has a massive, it's been found party. Look at verse 24, how this section ends. And they begin to celebrate. You know, in the new iPhone, the texting can take on like different fonts and it, like fireworks go off and everything. If the Bible was like that, you should see stars and fireworks and everything go off. This is a big party. And at this point, the story is exactly the same as all the others. Yep, that's the, gener- the general narrative arc that we've been expecting from Jesus. But Jesus goes on, and this is where it gets interesting. Because the older brother is like the 99 sheep Or the nine coins that didn't get lost, and he's got a voice. So it's like one of the sheep getting a chance to talk to the shepherd and be like, why'd you leave us? What's so special about the one lost person? So read with me in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. I love the drama of this. It's like the son, you know, the older brother probably took on some of the chores of the lost son because he left. He left. He's been working hard all day, and he's coming home, wiping his brow, and he sees disco lights. He hears music, and he smells the pizza of the party. In my imagination, September, by Earth, Wind, and Fire, is playing in the background. And he's like, what's going on? He grabs somebody, what's the party about? And they say, oh, your brother, the one that stole your dad's credit cards and ran to the Red Light District, he's back. And he's, he's back home, and your dad's throwing a party for him. And at that, he gets really mad and he stays on the outside. It's here the culture clash starts to happen. He's been living according to different cultural values. He's been going and celebrating different things. So the father comes out to him, just like he did the lost son. And the son gives his case to the father in verses 28 to 30. So I'll summarize it. What I think the older son is trying to say is this, look, father this makes no sense that you're celebrating this. It makes no sense you've spent time and money finding and celebrating the son who rebelled, stole your credit cards, and went to the red light district. That's a wrong emphasis and a priority. You've never thrown a pizza party for me and my my buddies. You've never celebrated my faithfulness. This is irrational. It's a misplaced emphasis of value. Now. Before we move on, we have to respect that. It's not cruel or mean, I think, for the older brother to voice that. I think it actually makes kind of emotional sense what he's probably feeling. So we need to respect what he's saying to the father. But then listen to the father's response, because this is where the culture of the kingdom of God just clashes up against the culture of the world and what might to be to us lots of common sense. So read with me in verses 31. This is verses 31 and 32. This is the father speaking. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. If I could translate this into Church of the Resurrection 2017 into our context Here's what I think the father is saying to the son. Son, I love you. I've always loved you. And I love the fact that you've been faithful. But put this in perspective. Every day, every week, you live with the light and nourishment and wisdom of God's word in your life. Every week, you get to come to the table in full forgiveness And you get to feed on the body and blood of Christ in your hearts through faith. And you get to go home with that transcendent meaning deep in your soul and in your person. You get a place at the table with the Heavenly Father. You get to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and under and beyond the transcendent hope of the resurrection. You have that all the time. But this brother had none of that. He had none of it. He was dead. He never got to do those things. He had none of that, but now he does. And therefore, the Father says, and I love how it says this. I've never caught this before. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. Basically, I think the Father is saying this was the right choice. I didn't get moved by my emotions and just went nuts. This is the correct priority according to the culture of the kingdom. That's why we're celebrating. I made a conscious decision to celebrate him. Notice that every single story in Luke 15 is a full arc. Lost, found, party. Lost, found, party. Lost, found, party. Except for the older brothers. The story ends with the father pleading outside of a party. Earth, wind, and fire is playing in the background, and the father is pleading to the son to come and join it. And he won't because of his self-focus and because of that cultural clash. I think Jesus specifically ends the story that way uh, just because I think rhetorically he's putting a question mark at the end of this to the people who are listening to him, saying, the party of the kingdom of God is rocking, and we're all about the lost being found, and we're celebrating it. Are you going to be able to enter into that? What's your party culture, basically? And I think that rhetorical question mark, that hanging comma almost, reaches us as well who are reading this, and we face that question mark about our lives of celebration, our values. So with all this, I want us to finish by thinking about three things. What does it say about God? What does it say about us? What can we practically do? First, what does it say about God? Well, for one, Jesus is teaching us here that the kingdom of heaven has a culture. God and all the hosts of heaven get excited about things more than other things, that they have a heart and a passion and a joy. They throw parties, for goodness sakes, and they get most excited, in Jesus' hyperbolic but I think very powerful ratio of 1 to 99 over when a lost person comes home. It's the driving heartbeat of God. So think about the Bible. The Bible teaches us that all of us once got lost. We've all been disconnected from the Father, from things we've done, things that have happened to us. But the Father so loved the world that he sent his only son, basically, to come and find us. Amen? To come find us in all the red light districts of our own hearts and get us, because he was broken up about us. And he gave us that way to come back home. He made it possible because of the cross and resurrection. And the Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. For the joy. What kind of joy? Well, according to Jesus, it at least partially has to be the joy of knowing that the lost were going to come home because of the cross. Jesus is driven by this party. He wants to have this celebration. That is the story of the Bible. The culture of the kingdom celebrates the lost being found. God Himself is driven by that. Man, that's beautiful. The gospel, God's heart, it's hard to forget. Or, sorry, it's easy to forget, but God is so driven and motivated by that. What crazy, reckless love. Man. If that's what it reveals about God, what does it reveal about us? Well, remember, Jesus intentionally ends this with kind of that question mark. It kind of ends with a hanging challenge. So I think if we just want to be faithful with this text, we have to ask ourselves that question. So I just want to ask two questions. There's not a right or wrong answer. I've been grappling with these, but I think Jesus is demanding we ask it. Number one, first question, do you personally share this emphasis of celebration. On a ratio of 99 to 1, what do you get excited about? What do you want to see happen? And number two, do we as a church, not as a climate where people maybe talk about it every now and then, but do we all unify deep in our fabric around this heart to see the lost be found, to want to throw those kind of parties? I'm not here to say it is or it isn't, But if we want to engage this text, like I said, we at least have to ask because, brothers and sisters, whatever our culture is or was, like another company, we were bought out by the kingdom of God. The Bible says Jesus purchased us with his blood. So whatever our culture is or was, we submit to kingdom culture. We enter into it. We let it become our own. Resurrection is such a church of celebration. I don't know if I've ever been to another church that is like this one in terms of party throwers. Man, we love a good party. And if you think about it, after Easter Vigil and after Holy Week when we have that celebration and hear stories of transformation, when you hear somebody get up and say, I was lost and now I'm found, which is all of us, so we all have that story, don't you want more of that? Have you ever seen somebody come home? Somebody who's never had anything that you're experiencing right now in this service gets the taste of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. Don't you want more? Championships breed championships, just like sports people say. It's why the Patriots keep on winning the Super Bowls, because they won the Super Bowl last year. It's just going to happen again. Don't you want to have that party just over and over and over and over again? Jesus is not saying it's not right to celebrate other stuff. We totally should. But what he's challenging in the people here is a priority and an order of what they put emphasis on. And he could not be any clearer than he is, I think, on what the kingdom emphasizes. Now, when we share that heart, this leads to the last thing. Leads down to practical decisions and the obvious practical application of all of this is that all of you should quit your jobs, sell your house, and move to Madison and be a part of the church plan. So I'm glad you're just tracking with me and you're there in your mind. Just kidding. Not really, though. Personally, though, as an application, uh, I think one of the really simple things for Jesus is what started all of this in the first place, who he spent time with. The whole debate practically came down to Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. Because Why? because he celebrates the lost being found. It's that simple. People disagreed with that. They were like, why do you invite these people to dinner? So for us, practically speaking, it can be as simple as, if you have a heart for the lost, invite them over to dinner. What if you had one night each week and each month that you just left open and said, this night we're always going to have somebody far from God over to our home? And if you're like, I don't know if I know that many people, pray. Pray. If God cares about the lost half as much as Jesus saying he does here, he will probably love to answer that prayer. And finally, application as a church, just for what this looks like for us, this is where I actually do get shameless. It's the same exact concept as hanging out with a a person far away from God as a church is planting a church. Okay, so hear me out. Church of Resurrection has such a wonderful sphere of influence in Wheaton and in West Chicago. Western Chicago. But how many thousands, how many millions of people don't have access to what you guys have access to here? In Illinois and in the whole Midwest. I mean, think about that for a second. That should biblically and from the point of the Holy Spirit cause you to lose sleep. The woman stopped everything she was doing and she spent her time and her resources on finding that one coin, the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. So when we get broken up and broken-hearted for people who are far from God out there, who we want to see come home, what can we do? Just hope our podcast gets popular so people in Minnesota or Wisconsin and Iowa can hear it. Statistically, biblically, historically, the best thing we can do as a church is to plant a new church in their community. So that's Rez, looking at a place like Madison, Wisconsin, which is a beautiful, wonderful place, but that also has a lot of need, and saying, you know what, we're going to give our time and our resources and people so that those people up there have access to come home, so that they can have access to a revival of word and sacrament infused by the Holy Spirit. And the reason we do that, we generously give away and keep on giving away and think, how can we plant more churches so more people have access to this and can come home? It's because we share the culture of the kingdom that celebrates the lost being found. For Jesus, people thought Jesus's use of resources and time was stupid. One to 99, bad ratio Jesus, bad economics. But for Jesus, that's the whole point of the resources and time. Amen? So you can pray for us. Pray for us in our little Madison church to be that we would have dozens and hundreds of massive bombastic parties for lost people who are coming home and coming home to Jesus and to his church. Kingdom culture celebrates the lost being found. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation.